0: This week we are in uh, John chapter 7. Um, and so as we uh, as we are moving through, uh, just a couple things. One, if you need a, uh, we're going to look at quite a bit of scripture today. So if you need, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, there are some scripture notebooks either up here on the altar or back there on the table when you come in. And so feel free to grab one of those. And if you... Uh, need it then uh, and you would like to take it home you're welcome to do that as well Uh, but we are going to uh, kind of do a little bit of introduction uh, with this passage because there's a lot of things kind of happening with this passage as we go through it then uh, we're going to kind of actually spend probably half the sermon just on introduction so if some of you are like hey you're talking a long time and we haven't even gotten to the passage don't let that scare you Uh, but we, we enter in this passage, uh, at the, the festival, uh, and it's the festival that you can, one of the things I've struggled with this week is that there's all different types of names of what they call this festival. We'll look at some of those, but the festival of shelters, of booths, of tabernacle, um, it's Sukkoth, the the Hebrew is the word Sukkot. And so there, you'll see that both times, but all of these are the same festival, but part of, I think, kind of the, the context to understand this in is that in John chapter one, verse 14, where we started, there is this statement. And it's a very important statement in kind of moving into this, uh, into this passage. I want you to kind of have that in your, in your head as we move into it. But the statement is, is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt, and we talked, we've talked about this a few times, the word dwelt there is literally the word tabernacled. So the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so we move into this passage, which is a passage dealing with the festival of tabernacles. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that tabernacle or what that festival meant. But there's two places where we kind of get some of this understanding. One is back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, verse 22 says, observe the festival of weeks with the first fruit of the wheat harvest. So this is, this is the first festival we're talking about. In their festivals, they had three pilgrimage festivals where they would come into Jerusalem. One of those would be the first fruits, the festival of weeks. Then the second one would be the festival of the harvest, or the second one we're talking about here is the festival of the harvest uh, that is also called in-gathering. Another way or another passage where we see this is in Leviticus chapter 23 says, you are to live in shelters for seven days. So this is telling them how to, uh, how to celebrate this festival. You are to live in shelters for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in shelters so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So this was a harvest festival. It remembered the harvest or it celebrated the harvest, but it also would do something else. It was about the Exodus. As we know, like most of these festivals kind of centered around the central event in the life of Israel, which was the Exodus. And so that was what they would come in and they would celebrate these these two things because part of what they understood is the Exodus was leaving Egypt, going into the land that God had promised them, right? But when they go into this land, they also farm this land. And so the land and the farm and harvest is all tied back to Exodus. So all of these things in their minds are tied together. So this is something that is still still celebrated in some ways uh, in in modern Jewish life. Uh, In case you're wondering, 2022, the dates of the Festival of Booths are October 9th through 16th just in case you put that down on your calendar. It changes every year, just like Easter changes because it has to do with uh, the, the moon phases. So that, that's when it is this year. It's a fall festival. Now, part of the reason this is important too is, as we're going to see is because it's a fall festival, Israel is in a part of the world that has rainy seasons. Now, living in Alabama, y'all don't know what rainy seasons are. Most of you have never lived in them. Christopher and Caitlin can tell you about rainy seasons because we lived in San Diego. It was part of life. And I can remember moving here. We were putting a roof uh, back when the North Jefferson Women's Center was right over here by Express Oil. Do y'all remember that? We put a roof. I think Richard was there. That day. We put a roof on that building and we had to have it covered up. And I remember thinking like, well, this is, it was like the first of March. I'm like, well, rainy season's over. It's, we don't have to worry about covering it. It's not gonna rain till November. That was what was in my head. Like I grew up in the South, but I was already thinking that way. And then I realized, no, like, no this is Alabama. It could rain in the next 30 seconds. We don't know. Like any, any moment it could rain. When you live in a climate that has a rainy season, that's not the way it works. For San Diego, it was November through March. It could rain. Outside of that, it, it might, but it's not, it's not gonna rain. One year we lived there, it went 250 days with no rain. So in their system, in the way that they lived, they had a rainy season and this was leading into the rainy season. This festival was harvest, but it was a rainy season. It was coming into the rainy season. Now, why is that important? Because the people understood if I'm going to have a harvest next year, all the crops that I have for the next year depend on a good, good rainy season this year. If we don't get rain in the next four or five months, we're not going to have a good harvest next year. And so the people of Israel understood that there are some kind of keys that, that take place in this, that, that this was a part of their lives and this was a part of, of what, they, what they believed. And so the rainy season was an important piece of this. They understood a truth, which was that what God is going to do tomorrow is dependent on what God is doing today. The, the harvest of tomorrow depends on the rain of today. And so these ideas were tied together. Rain was tied as a piece of this. Because this was a piece also of the Exodus, light was tied into this. And so chapter eight is dealing with light in John. We're, not, we're actually going to skip over that next week and keep moving, uh, but, but we'll, you can see that light. And so these are kind of the big symbols of the festival of booths. All right. So All that to say is we have, I told you there's going to be a lot of introduction, so I apologize. But this is is the way the festival took place, all right? So they would come into Jerusalem. They had to stay, as we just read in Leviticus. They would build these shelters or build tents. And they would live out in these tents in the city streets, in the alleyways. And people would live out there during this festival for seven days. And on, every day they would go into the temple and this is what would happen. You would go into the temple and you would bring two things with you. In one hand, you would have a leafy branch, whether it was a palm branch, whether it was myrtle or cypress, you would bring a leafy branch in one hand. And in the other hand, you would have a piece of fruit. And the leafy branch is to signify abundance, fruitfulness. And the fruit signifies fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. And they would come into the temple to worship every day. And the priest would come before them, and the priest didn't have the fruit or the leafy branch. The priest would bring a pitcher, and this pitcher was gold, and the pitcher was empty. And during worship, the priest would hold it above the altar, and it was empty. And during worship, he would leave, and he would go down to the pool of Siloam. And in the pool, he would dip that pitcher in, And he would then come back into the temple and stand before the people, palm branches, myrtle branches, cypress branches, fruit. He would stand before the people and stand above the altar with the gold pitcher and he would pour the water out onto the altar. I was gonna do that today, but I didn't think we wanted to clean that up. But he would pour the water out onto the altar. And this was a symbol to tell all the people That this was about fruitfulness. It was about rain. It was about harvest. But it was about God providing those things for them. That fruitfulness, that life is something that only comes from God. And it was a symbol that they used to show them, to remind themselves that these things are things that only come from God. And in the midst of that time, they would have different hymns that they would sing together. And one of the ones they would sing is Psalm 118. So I've got Psalm 118 and I want us to, to read this together. This is just the end, but this, is, this gets at some of those themes, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna say this together because we're the congregation. I don't have a gold pitcher, but we're the congregation. All right, so these are, the, these are the words or one of the passages they would have used for worship on these days. So read with me. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give you thanks. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So what is, this, what is this whole thing about? All of this stuff they would do, all of this festival, reading these types of passages. There is a theme, and the theme of all of this is that success, success at harvest, success in, in all of life, only comes from one place from God that the harvest they would bring in to celebrate what had happened depended on the rain and the rain came from God and all success all harvest comes from God and they could talk about and proclaim that God was the one that his love endured forever that his love uh, or that his life was what brought them life and so these were the things that, that were going on during this time. This is what was going on during the festival. And so we, we come to the, the passage today and just kind of, if you have your Bibles open, just a couple things that are, they're that kind of going on in this, in this passage. If you start off at the beginning of chapter seven, Jesus there is, is, has this conversation with his brothers. They're going to the festival and he tells them, y'all go, I'm not going to go. Uh, and so he, he sends his brothers on and then he secretly says, he secretly uh, goes into Jerusalem he's there. uh, And really the entire chapter uh, from from that point to where we're going to read is really just controversy about who Jesus is. So there's a lot of controversy there. I love this passage because I love how Jesus tells them, like, you know, uh, he says, go up to the festival, verse eight, yourselves. I'm not going to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. So he stays in Galilee. And then by the very next verse, verse 10, uh, he decides to go up secretly. So he, I love that. Like, it's not my time to go. I'm not going. Yeah, I am. And so he goes up there. So he's there for the festival. He's there for all of this, this controversy that's surrounding him. So that's where we enter in into the passage. So chapter seven, verse 37 is where we will, uh, where we'll start. And we'll read down to verse 52. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this, is, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and to the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants asked, no man has ever spoken like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have you or have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus The one who came to him previously and who was one of them said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee." So this gospel, and as we've been working our way through John's gospel, John's gospel is filled with symbolism. There are books written on the symbolism. There's literally one called Symbolism in the Fourth Gospel. There are books written on the symbolism in this gospel. And so one of the things for us to kind of work through this text today, which is kind of a strange text, is, is I think we, we kind of need to have a, just a small lesson on the way John uses symbolism and the way that he writes uh, his gospel. And so last week we looked at John chapter 6 verse uh, 35. This was the passage we looked at. I am the bread of life Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. That, that's where we were last week. Y'all remember that? What we see in John's symbolism is that when we see these symbols, John does something incredible with the way he writes his gospel. And we can see this all throughout John. That what John says to us is, is that on the primary level, Jesus, when he speaks, Jesus is making a statement about himself. So the basic statement is something about Jesus himself. What, if we want to use a big theology word, it's a Christology statement or a Christological statement. It's about Christ. It's a statement about himself. Okay, so that's the primary level. On a secondary level, he is making a statement about discipleship. So Jesus says in the passage we just read, I am the bread of life. That's a statement about who? Christ. It's a Christological statement. I am the bread of life. Then what does he do? He turns it into a statement about a disciple. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Primary statement about Christ. Secondary statement about us. Everybody see it? So we, we, we can do this next week, or if, if we were kind of flowing chapter by chapter, the next chapter, chapter eight is the uh, chapter of I am the light of the world. Okay. So let's, let's look at that one. We're not going to preach on it next week. So I'm going to use it as an example this week. So Jesus spoke to them again. This is still during Sukkoth uh, or during the Festival of Booths. Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. What is that? It's a primary statement about who? Christ. It's about himself. I am the light of the world. So if we're going to follow John's little uh, example, what's going to happen next? There's going to be a secondary statement about who? Who? about us, about disciples. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, and he, John does this all, all throughout his gospel. So we come to this, this verse, or we come to these verses. And the reason I want you to kind of be thinking about this is, is as we come into these verses, these verses are, are kind of a controversy in translation. So let's look, chapter, uh, chapter seven, verse 37 and 38. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, the one who believes in me, as scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow, flow from deep within him. Now, here's the problem. As we've talked about before in Greek, we we don't have punctuation. And in this passage, we we don't totally, there's a lot of controversy kind of about what it's saying. Who does have, who has water flowing from them? What is going on here? And I think, and and Dwight's going to give me an amen here in just a moment. I think of all the translations, probably the one that does it the best here is King James. Yeah, Dwight's a King James person. But, but, but I think part of the reason, and as I was looking at translations this week, I think part of it is, is that in modern translations, we've tried to kind of smooth over what we don't get in this verse. Whereas King James was just like, bam, here it is. So let's, let's look at King James just real quick of what they say. I, I combined 37 to 38 or 37a uh, to 38. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, what's going on here? The problem is, as I highlighted it there, is this word, his. Who, Who is his? In many of our Bibles, we kind of lead it to think that the his is us. But I believe this is a statement about Christ. So, hear it, hear it again. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, who is me? Jesus. Jesus. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of his belly. And this is one of those, I mean, it's one of those passages we don't fully, I mean, there's a lot of translations, there's a lot of misunderstanding, but I really believe, and the more I've looked at it this week, is that what he is saying here is, is that this life, come to me and drink, believeth on me, that out of Jesus, that water is going to flow. Now, if we know the story, what happens on Good Friday? Jesus is crucified, they come to check to see if he's still alive, and what happens? They take a spear and do what? Pierce his side. And what flows out? Water. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I, I believe this, this is the primary statement, the Christological statement, the statement about Christ. Because then the very next statement is, begins to talk about us. So if you look at it, uh, verse 30, jump down to verse 39. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit. Who's that? That's us. For the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When is Jesus glorified? Through the passion. And what happens in the passion? Jesus is on the cross. The guard gets a spear. And waters flow. You with me? And so I think that that's what's, what's happening in this passage. But I, the reason I bring all this up is I don't want you to miss the context of what Jesus is saying to them. That we're in the middle of a festival. In the middle of that festival, what this is all about is, is a picture a golden pitcher full of water that is poured out on an altar. To say to all the people that life, the rain, comes from one place, from the water. And this water, this life, this rain, what gives us harvest, what gives us abundance, comes from one place. From a God, his son hanging on a cross that brings us life that that's where life comes from and because of that life we as the believer have the holy spirit we as the believer are able to participate in this life with God and Jesus is making this incredible statement to say to the people all of you think that life comes from this pitcher, that life comes from this water yes but it's not about a pitcher anymore it's about me I'm the one that gives you life. I'm the one that quenches thirst. I'm the one who has flowing, living water coming for me, for you. I am the one who brings you life. A couple weeks ago, uh, as we were, it was the week on the centurion sun. I made a statement that week. And the statement was this, that faith, or to, this week, we'll, kind of throw the word belief in there, that faith or belief is to trust in a promise that you hope is true, and the promise of faith is life. And so in this passage, what, what is the promise of this passage? And the promise of this passage is that receive the Holy Spirit through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that we are given life through Christ on the cross. And it's not just a forgiveness of sins, as important as that is, we are given life through the Holy Spirit. We are given life through the sacrifice that Christ made. We are given that hope of life. We are given a harvest because of what God has done through Christ on the cross and through the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we kind of come come to this moment, my, my question is, As I said earlier, this this passage is all kind of covered up with controversy. Who is Jesus? What do people say? Who is Jesus? What do people say? And both sides of this story are dealing with the controversy of who Jesus is. Both sides. And so we get to verse 40, and verse 40 says to us, when some of the crowd heard these words, they say, this truly is the prophet. Others say, this is the Messiah. And then you can jump down when they go into uh, the the Pharisees down in verse 45. Then the servants came to the chief priest, the Pharisees who asked him, why didn't you bring him here? Verse 46, the servants answered, no man has ever spoken like this. And the Pharisees responded, are you fooled too? Are you fooled too? And so my question Faith, belief is to trust in a promise that you hope is true. And the promise is life. The the very next passage kind of begins to to show us some statements of belief. It begins to help us kind of get in the heads of the people that saw saw all of these things taking place, begins to help us think through. And so in those statements, there are different people who believe different things. Some say, "You're a prophet." Some say, "This is a Messiah." The chief priests and the Pharisees, who we all know should have the right answers, say, "Are, are, you, are you fooled by this? This show that he's putting on?" And, and my question this morning to you is, when we hear this, when we experience who God is, when we come to the living water, where, where do we fall? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that I've been waiting for to to fill my life? Is, Is this just something that crazy people believe, as the Pharisees would have told us? But what I love about this story is there's a fourth character, Nicodemus. And what I love about Nicodemus in this story is Nicodemus doesn't fit. Because it's easy for us to get up here and we can kind of be churchy about it and we can say, you know, there's only really two categories, aren't there? There's either believe or you don't, right? That's it. And then Nicodemus shows up. And the first time we experienced Nicodemus back in chapter three, we left Nicodemus with him scratching his head a little confused about what's going on. And now Nicodemus shows up again in the story. And it's kind of like Nicodemus just kind of meandering through this story, trying to figure out what's going on. Weighing the evidence of what he's seeing Christ is, the conversation he had with Christ, what his friends, the Pharisees and chief priests, are saying versus what the people are saying. And what I love about Nicodemus in this story is Nicodemus allows for some of us to just say, I, I don't know if I know yet that I, 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 can, I can scratch my head sometimes, that I can ask the question of, I'm still trying to figure this out, that Nicodemus allows us some room. And what I think is so incredible about Nicodemus is part of what he says to those that fall in that camp is, is don't quit seeking. Don't quit looking for who God is and how God is operating in the world. That if you're somebody who says, you know, John, I I don't know. It's not as easy as belief or unbelief. And sometimes I feel like like I don't belong because I don't fall into one of those camps. I'm somewhere in between. And so obviously I don't fit. And I think Nicodemus tells us "You, you do fit. Because sometimes we do have questions. Sometimes we don't know how much we understand. And Nicodemus allows us some room in there, but the important piece of Nicodemus is you don't quit looking for God. This isn't the last time Nicodemus shows up in the gospel. He shows up one more time to remind us that he is still there, he is still searching, he is still seeking. It would, it would be easy for us just to say there's only two categories. That's easy. But it's not always reality for everyone. And I know for some of you, there are people in your life, you might say, you know, pastor, I, I'm a believer, I believe. But there's somebody in my life who they don't know what they think. They, they don't know what they believe. They believe some of this, they believe some of this. And, some of this and, 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 and I don't, they don't know where they are. And this morning, I think the important thing that we hear is that we are reminded to let them seek, to have the conversations, to keep asking questions, to keep allowing them to ask questions. I, uh, I don't think I've told you all this story before, but I, I had a conversation with, uh, with a friend a while back. We went to lunch and we, we talked for a while. And one of the things he said to me was, he said, "You know, I've I've been around church for a long time and I just don't think I buy it." And he said, "I know that might upset you." And I looked at him and I was like, "It doesn't." What, "What what do you not buy? What what do you not see? Let's talk about it." I'm okay with that. Let's have that conversation. And he told me through, through some things, this is what I've prayed for, and God hasn't answered this prayer, this prayer, this prayer. And as he told me, I just kind of smiled, and he's like, what's so funny? And I said, well, I can tell you how I've seen God answer this prayer, this prayer, this prayer in your life. I, I've seen God working in you. Where you don't see God, I see God. And there are people in our lives that are in that world where they just don't know where they are. But the beauty of this passage, and I think part of what he's saying to us, what Jesus wants us to hear is, is that life in the spirit is a spirit that goes out into a world. A world who needs the rain. A world that needs to know that there is a God who is real, that there is a God who is alive, that there is a God who can even handle the hard questions. A God that that calls us, to be somebody, to be people. And the story of John's gospel, as y'all know, is the story that keeps explaining this to us, keeps telling us about these things, keeps showing us. And in that last, the very last verse, verse 52, as they say back to Nicodemus, aren't you from Galilee, or you aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. And then they use these words, investigate. Investigate and you will see. There are people in your life who who just want to investigate. They, They want that room to be able to search out to see if this God is real. Part of their investigation involves looking at you and looking at me and looking at the church and looking at what people say about other people and how people treat other people. And the life we are to live is to be people who say, there is a Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. He has given himself for me. He has poured himself out for you and for me. And he has given his life to us. And I I want to show you who that God is. I want to show you what that life looks like. I want to show you that life is so much more than what you think it is. To allow room for the Nicodemus, to allow room for the person who doesn't always understand. But to say, I'm here with you, to walk with you, to show you what life is. This morning, as we close, that's my hope and my prayer. Is this week, I've thought a lot about the Nicodemuses of life. I've thought a lot about the people in my life who don't always know, who, are, who have those questions that they don't always understand. This morning as we close, uh, as, as you know, Pastor James will be right over here on this altar to your, uh, to your left, that if you are that person who says, you know what, I fall in the category of unbelief, but I think I'm ready to talk to somebody about what it means to believe. Pastor James would love to be able to talk to you about that. But for many of us as well, we might be a Nicodemus or we might live in the world of of loving a Nicodemus, of loving someone in our lives that that just, that need to know what the truth is, that that need to have that further lived in their life. And you might just need to come and find a place to kneel to pray for them or to pray for yourself or to, to, to pray for that person, to lift them up. So if that's you then you're uh, I just encourage you to come and find a place to kneel uh, if you're here this morning and you would like for someone to pray for you uh, for healing I um, will be right here at this altar I would love to be able to anoint you and to pray for you this morning uh, for healing uh, for physical spiritual emotional whatever kind of healing uh, that you need in your life I would love to be able to pray for you so this morning as we sing I just invite you that if you want to come and find a place to kneel a place to pray, to pray for that Nicodemus, for that unbelief, for the person in our lives who who meander through the story, to lift them up. Let us stand as we pray.